two artists walk into a bar. Now stop me if you've heard this one. Listen in as artists and creators talk over drinks about their work, life, and the creative journey. Thanks for tuning in to episode number six of Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. Our guest artist today is city and landscape painter David Tycho. As we record, he's showing at the South Main Gallery on 6th Avenue in Maine in Vancouver, and we're just a few blocks away on the deck of Milano in Vancouver's Fairview Slopes. We'll talk about travel and inspiration, being cohesive, and how to know when your work is ready to show, as well as David's award-winning literary turn, balancing home and studio time, and the influence of great instructors. If you like the show, subscribe, rate, and review. And if you love the show, head to the website, twoartistswalkintoabar.com, and buy us our next round. Now let's head to Milano and listen in as David and I talk about calligraphic painting with giant mop brushes, blending representational and abstract, and the value of an awesome road trip. Cheers to that. David, thank you for coming down and meeting me here. It's really fun to see your work because I had heard your name around in circles and then all of a sudden over the last couple of weeks, everywhere I turn, I see your name. And the other day I was walking down, what street is it? South Main? South Main and 6th, probably. South Main and 6th and walked in and having seen your work on the internet, gorgeous, but walking in and seeing your show was like mind-blowing. It is, it's amazing. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, congratulations. And it's funny when, thank you. It's <laughs> funny when you have a show, suddenly you're everywhere. Yeah. Because I'm doing a certain amount of work promoting myself, obviously, on social media and that. Yeah. The gallery's promoting you. Uh, the media's promoting you. So uh, if you're ever going to find an artist online or anywhere else, it's probably while they're doing a show. Yeah. And you've been showing your work for... Uh, professionally for about 25 years now. Mm -hmm. um, I had my first solo show in 1993, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in a commercial gallery. I had shown in a number of places before that, mostly arts council galleries and community galleries and things like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, finally, I got a gallery in Vancouver to take me on, and I've been showing since then. Who was your first gallery? Uh, it was called the Alexander Gallery, and the art dealer is still around town. His name is Paul Kyle, and um, he was a private dealer for many many years and he closed his gallery in about 1995 I believe I could be off by a year or two and then I went on to other galleries after that and your studio you're in Parker Street yeah I've been in Parker Street for about 12 years now it's uh I didn't really want to get into a one of these large buildings where you have so many different studios and people working with power tools and things like that so but I was between a rock and a hard place for a studio when one came up there, mm -hmm. and uh, I grabbed it and have never looked back. I started off with a really small space, and as other artists left, I took over their spaces, and eventually I got myself a, a really nice big space. Mm -hmm. On the top floor, I've got beautiful vaulted ceilings. Um, it's very airy, I, a view of the North Shore Mountains. And for the most part, it's fairly quiet, which surprised me. Yeah, and you're in there by yourself. Most of the time, I, I lease a, a large, I, I lease about 1,500 square feet, which is a lot, and wow, obviously yeah. that's expensive, so I do sublet part of it out to other artists. Mm -hmm. What a cool setup to have, and your work is big. Yeah, and I can actually show about, about 15 uh, large pieces in my studio space. So during the culture crawl, for example, the Eastside Culture Crawl, which is a 
an event where artists open up their studio doors to the public. Mm -hmm. I can show, I spruce the place up, I clean it up, I sweep the floors, I paint the walls, and I turn it into a gallery of sorts yeah. and show my work there. So it works as both um, a showing space and a workspace. Very cool. Yeah. And your current show, Fire and Rain, tell us about the work in that show. Well, I had been doing urban-based work, uh, street scenes, the gritty side of urban life, New York, Tokyo, Vancouver, San Francisco, uh, just all the different big cities that I'd been to and went back through my photographs. And I did that for about five or six years, uh, these urban paintings. And I started to feel like I was repeating myself. So I thought the best way to shake things up artistically is probably to change your environment. So I set off on a trip. In, I threw all my camping gear into my van and I left Vancouver and I went south all the way to the Mexican border and camping in all the different landscapes and environments and climates along the way. Uh, eventually arriving in places like Death Valley and the Canyonlands of Utah and Arizona, um, the Sierra Nevada, the Cascade Mountains, basically from the wettest point on the continent, which is near Tofino, BC, mm -hmm. to the driest place, which is um, Death Valley, and every place in between. And so I came back with all these photos and inspiration, I guess, and from that, uh, this series evolved, and I ended up calling it Fire and Rain to represent the hot spaces and the wet spaces that we're all too familiar with around here. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it could be called... Um, Volcanism and Hydrology. <laughs> also a show I would attend. <laughs> but uh, I thought Fire and Rain had sounded a little more poetic, so yeah, I chose yeah. that to kind of represent the, the extremes. Um, yeah. The subtitle for the show is Fire and Rain, A Journey to Extremes, and it's based on my trip from the wettest point to the driest point in the continent. Wow, and how long was... like? Road trips are probably my favorite subject, so I'm going to hold you here for a while. Oh, no problem. How long was the trip? What, were you on your own? What was it like? This was kind of a connect-the-dots trip. Mm -hmm. um, I had been to a lot of these places individually in the past, and but I decided in order to get this vibe that I wanted for the series that I would have to do it all over again. So it was 9,000 kilometers. Um, started in Vancouver, and as I mentioned, I went through... Or maybe I didn't mention, I went through Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, uh, Arizona, Utah, Idaho, and of course BC, and uh, parts of southern Alberta over to the island, um, to Henderson Lake, which is th the wettest point on the continent. Mm -hmm. So 9,000 kilometers, this trip itself was about only three weeks, but I've spent probably a year in total over the past 25 years camped out in these different environments so this was kind of the, the one trip to tie it all together so it'd been in the back of my mind for quite a number of years but finally i was able to consolidate everything and, and it evolved into this series yeah and were you doing any actual painting out there i mean your work doesn't really lend itself to perching on a no i tend to work big <laughs> and uh big and sloppy yeah and uh big brushes big trowels, palette knives, um, rags, rollers. So no, it doesn't lend itself to working in the field. So mm -hmm. I generally just take photographs and sometimes do small sketches and just really be aware as I'm hiking and, and driving, aware of the environment, aware of the colors, making mental notes. Mm -hmm. um, I think I have a virtual, virtually a photographic memory 
to some degree because I can close my eyes and recall being in a canyon in Death Valley or or a farmer's field in uh, central Oregon and I can recall quite vividly the colors and the shapes and the forms and between my memories and the photographs that I've taken I come up with these images but I don't necessarily try to represent the landscape literally I often abstract and um, they evolve in some cases to complete abstraction mm -hmm. other times more representational and everything in between yeah I loved that looking at your work it is a beautiful blend of abstraction you know sometimes there is a total sense of place and sometimes it's completely wild and 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 yet you see your hand clearly in both situations like it's it's an obvious David Tycho but it's completely different and have you always approached your art that way is that no this trip was probably the most challenging in terms of technique the, uh, the most challenging to both represent the landscape that I was trying to represent and also make everything tie together because it's a journey to extremes and those climat uh, climatic and uh, environmental and geographic extremes also require uh, different techniques mm -hmm. so if you look at the rainforest paintings they're they're splattered they almost look like Jackson Pollock's when you get up close mm -hmm. and then if you look at some of the uh, Death Valley paintings it's a very austere environment where there's very subtle changes in color so it, that required a completely different palette and also a completely different way of applying the paint in order to best represent that environment. So it was really challenging to make it all look like uh, the landscapes that it was intended to look like, but at the same time be a co coherent series. Right. And uh, that was a challenge. And I think I probably learned more about painting doing this series than I've learned in any other series that I've ever done. Because in the past, I tended to make everything look more or less the same mm -hmm. and these ones just don't and the ones that you saw in the gallery are the tip of the iceberg because I have some that are completely wild and and you would never even know that they're a landscape mm -hmm. um, but they didn't make it you have to make decisions and they didn't make it into the show so yeah um, yeah it was a real test in terms of technical approach right and how many pieces are in the show in the show itself I think he had 19 up at one time but the series is 44 paintings and that doesn't include all the ones that I painted over and destroyed wow. so it's well over 50 paintings yeah. um, which is the largest series I think I've ever done and some of them are four feet by six feet so they're you know it's a big it's a lot of work it took me about 10 months uh, to paint mm -hmm. and uh the thing is, you'll never see them all together, which is unfortunate because it would require a really big gallery. Maybe never the Vancouver Art Gallery. Is a big word. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if anybody's listening yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, right on. So, so you've done this massive series, and to me, looking at it, it's like um, geographic moods almost, right? And very different from your last series, which was all cityscapes yes. and and. It's awesome how, as artists, you kind of get to get up every year or so and think, "What is my job now?" You know, like, "What do, what do I want to, what do I want to create?" And you've done that for twenty-five something years. Yeah. How did you first get started with it? When you had that first show, what led you to that? How did you know you were going to be an artist? Oh, good question. Um, I think it was probably because of a very good instructor out at UBC. I would. 
I was always good at art in high school and junior high school, and my mom was a very good painter, actually, and my brother was a very good draftsman, illustrator, and so art was always around in our home, but it was never, no one ever said, like, go off and be an artist, mm -hmm. but my mom felt that it was an important part of a complete education to pursue those interests, and uh, I went to university and decided that I would study art, and... I had an instructor by the name of Jack Darkus, and uh, he's still alive and still painting, and he's still very active. Uh, I believe he's in his 80s. And I also had Gordon Smith. Oh, wow. Um, he was, I got him in his last year that he taught out at UBC. I think it was 1982. Mm -hmm. And those two, between the two of them, they just turned everyone on. They were so, such good teachers, such good motivators. Um, and I think that's probably when I first decided that I wanted to be an artist as opposed to being a teacher. Uh, because I was studying art education as well as fine arts courses. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got me started. But that was I graduated in 1983, and I didn't have my first solo show until 1993. So it took 10 years of kind of bashing my head against the wall, um, going in every direction, traveling and moving around, and, and just never really settling into right. to working. And I finally realized that I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen unless I could settle down in one place for a few years and really focus on uh, making art yeah, and put away my other hobbies and interests and, and just work on my art as much as I could. So that was probably about 1989. And then so I finally got into some shows in the early 90s and group shows in galleries. And then eventually um, I was able to have my first show. Uh, the dealer, he approached me uh, or I approached him initially and he said, you're not ready. Which I thought, what? <laughs> Me? I'm ready. And he said, no, I don't think you are ready. Uh -huh. And uh, he was right, because your first show leaves a big first impression on people. Mm -hmm. And to all you young folk out there, <laughs> there's no rush. Like, wait until you're ready, until yeah. you have a good, large body of work that's co coherent and consistent uh, in terms of theme, in terms of uh, technique. You don't want to have good paintings and bad paintings in the same series. So that was good advice. Just wait. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually it'll come together, and eventually you'll find your direction, and I guess find your vision more than anything. That, that's what he was looking for, was uh, a young artist with a vision. I, I guess he finally thought I had a vision yeah. and allowed me to have a show. Yeah, yeah. And that first show was successful? Was it? Uh... Um, it he sold a lot of paintings. I, I mean, success is a funny word, but uh, certainly it was critically, I wouldn't say acclaimed, but people knew that I was you know, a, a young force in Vancouver and and uh, they were total I went to Japan I lived in Japan for four years actually mm -hmm. in the time before that and I got really turned on to Japanese calligraphy um, the Zen monks would paint these large calligraphs on paper rolled out on the floor with these mops they they dip these they were brushes but they were mop sized mm -hmm. they dip the brushes into the ink and they would almost do a dance and they'd walk backwards and paint these calligraphs and that really turned me on to the idea of abstraction. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not sure who knows. Uh, people like Franz Klein and Robert Motherwell were American abstract expressionists who really had this black and white sensibility that many attributed to um, their interest in Asian art. And I guess I had the same thing. And I, I was really in, intrigued by this. So I tried to translate uh, this calligraphic style painting into what would be called abstract expressionism. Mm -hmm. So that was my first show. It was completely abstract, mm -hmm. all these black and white, kind of almost oriental-looking 
um, figures yeah. or characters. How did you end up in Japan? What was the actual... Good question. I um, graduated in 1983 with a degree in fine arts in education. And there literally were no jobs, no teaching jobs available. So I was qualified to teach high school. Um, I was waiting tables. I was washing dishes. I was doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was reading the newspaper one day thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I was poor and I wasn't really doing much in terms of art, a little bit. And I saw this ad in the newspaper that said, teachers wanted in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, hmm, that sounds intriguing. There was no internet then. So right. so how do you find out how to go about that? Yeah. It's kind of hard. You go to the library and there's kind of outdated information. So I started asking around and sure enough, somebody knew someone who had d- been there and, and I talked to that person and they told me, yeah, they'd been there for a year and they had taught English and they had a great experience. So I started saving my money and eventually I left thinking I would be gone for maybe six months and I came back four years later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it wasn't just Japan, but uh, I stayed in Asia for almost four years. Yeah. Um, taught English, continued to sketch and paint small mm-hmm. pieces, but just didn't have the space or the time, actually. Well, that's always an excuse, but didn't have the, de- definitely didn't have the space to, to do more than fairly modest works. Yeah. And uh, came back with all of these Asian images in my mind. And eventually that led to th- my first series. Right. It takes a long time for for images and ideas to kind of incubate before they absolutely hit the, yeah yeah and it was it's often when three or four forces meet at the same time or they incubate together mm-hmm. and it was a combination of seeing uh, some Robert Motherwell paintings in a museum in Japan combined with seeing these um, j- these Zen priests doing their calligraphs on this large paper and just. Uh, new environments, new experiences, new people, speaking to artists. I met quite a few artists while I was in Japan. And uh, all of these things came together and kind of um, incubated and percolated and coagulated. And, uh, <laughs> all the best aided. All the aided, yes. I love those words. And eventually, um, I kind of plowed. Abstraction is not easy. People see abstract painting and, you know, the cliche expression is, oh, my, my kid could do that. But yeah. When you've never done it before and you go from, I was quite a representational painter before that. And when you try to convert to abstraction, it takes, it took me a good year before I did one that I thought was decent and probably two or three years before I, I did enough where I had a body of work that I could actually show. So it was a big It, it terrifies me. I understand it, that. <laughs> it's frightening. And, yeah. and I just made a mess for about a year. And then finally, by looking really hard at other painters, I learned more probably from looking at other artist than I do from any instruction that you could get and just looking at how they applied the paint and basically copying artists that I liked or respected and eventually you find your own voice within that but all of these elements came together and resulted in this first series. So who are the artists that you looked at who inspired you? At the time um, my teacher Gordon Smith was one. He sort of hovered between abstraction and representation Jack Darkus was another teacher. He was always figurative, but it really applied the paint in a very thick, impasto sort of way. And uh, just his paint application, he doesn't paint like that now, but at the time, his paint application was really something that I copied. Um, Robert Motherwell, Willem de Kooning, Jackson Pollock to a degree. I started flinging paint and dripping it. And and uh, Richard Diebenkorn, another American artist. I think probably the biggest influence were the American 
abstract expressionists from New York from the 40s and 50s. And did you ever do the dance with the mop and paint with a... More or less, yeah. yeah? Uh, with my own version of a mop, but uh, I put them down on the floor and and uh, dipped them in runny paint and made a mess. That sounds so fun. <laughs> it's intimidating and scary, but but after you sort of get a sense of it, it becomes more fun. Although I've never found making art fun, to be honest with you. No? No. What do you, how do you find it? I sweat before I go into the studio. I get nervous. Like I just think, uh, what, what am I going to do today? How, and how am I going to do it? And how is it going to look? And I think if you're always trying to improve, you're always going to put pressure on yourself. Um, like anybody in any job or an athlete or, or a singer or a dancer, I mean, you just always want to get better. And if a ballerina trips and stumbles on stage, you know, the illusion is broken. And uh, I always uh, thought of it like that, like you can't trip or stumble. So it, it, it was a bit nerve-wracking, and I, st I still approach it like that. I still get a little butterflies in my stomach before I go into my studio. Yeah. Well, that is way more fun than not feeling when you, you know, like to still feel the excitement. Yeah. And I think that comes from changing your direction fairly frequently, which I've done uh, a lot in my art career. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I forget who said it, but there was a quote, um, you know, there has to be a sense of discovery in your own work. Uh, and if there isn't that sense of discovery, then you're just repeating yourself. And if you're just repeating yourself, you know, it, it does get boring and it becomes very job-like. So I always try to learn something new. And, I, and you have to be honest with yourself. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I really... Am I really pushing myself? Am I trying to learn new things? Am I taking chances? Am I afraid to make a bad painting? That was a question, or that was something that was told to me about another artist whose name I won't mention. Um, somebody said he's afraid to make a bad painting, and I've never forgotten wow. that. And that's always stuck in my mind. Am I afraid to make a bad pa painting? So if I am, then I'm not growing. Not taking risks. Exactly, and I yeah. think in the style of painting that I do, you have to take risks. You have to roll the dice. Um, it's very different if you're a, like a hyper-realist or something like that where, mm -hmm. where taking risks... Well, you could take risks with subject matter and things, and I guess that's the way you grow. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot harder to take risks with a tiny little brush than it is with a big, giant one. Right. And so you've, you've do, you're doing this show now, but you've done a lot of shows over the years. Yeah. What have been some of the career highlight shows that you've done? Um... Or personal I, highlight shows, ones you've loved the most. The first one, of course. And mm -hmm. uh, the second show I did at another gallery in Vancouver, um, I wasn't real satisfied with. I wasn't really ready to show. I had changed direction, and I hadn't really figured out what I was doing. So I wasn't real proud of that one. But then I did another one at the Richmond Art Gallery called Primordial. Uh, that one stands out. It was a, a solid show. It was very similar to the first series that I talked about. And then I went into more colorful painting, uh, got away from the black and white and I did one in Seattle at Foster White Gallery in I think 1997 or 1998 that was called uh, Elements and it was kind of loosely based on landscape very abstracted and that was a highlight uh, then I worked in that vein for many years and finally in 2011 I went to Japan a return visit after 20 some odd years away mm -hmm and thought I have to do something with Tokyo. So I did a series called the Japan series, and that was based on all the lights and energy and movement of a big city like Tokyo, uh, combined with some landscape paintings of Mount Fuji. 
And uh, that was a highlight. And that sent me off on my urban direction. I did about four or five urban series. Um, the last one was called Station to Station. And it was based on gritty train stations all over the world. Oh, uh, wow. Very industrial looking, very urban. A lot of black and white. Uh, in that sense, back to my, my roots, I guess. Mm -hmm. But more representational. Yeah. And then this last series, I think, is... You know, an artist probably always says that his most recent series is the best series. But this one feels to me like I think I'm getting an inkling of how to paint. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a an, a Japanese artist by the name of Hokusai. He did the... He's one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. 50 views of Mount Fuji or whatever. And he, I remember there were quotes. He said, when I was 50, I... I, I didn't know anything. And then when I was 60, I, I got a little glimpse of something. Maybe I knew a little bit. And then and he went through the decades. And he said, finally, at the age of 80, I, I'm, I think I kind of know, you know. So um, as far as everything I've done so far, I think this is kind of the culmination of that. And finally, I think I know how to move paint around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then as soon as you do that, then you open up another door. You know, right. the more you know, the more you don't know. Yeah. And uh, so now I've opened up an, another universe and then you kind of timidly step into that universe because I have some ideas for some new paintings that they, they fright me to death. They scare me to death. And uh, but I, I have to I really think I've got to keep rolling the dice. You think of uh, musicians. I always use music as an analogy, but artists like David Bowie. Uh, who just reinvented himself over and over again. Um, he's always inspired me. And people would say, what's what's coming next? And he'd say, well, I, I don't really know, but I can guarantee it's not going to be boring. Yeah. And you may hate some of his work, but it was never boring. It was never boring. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, he yeah, just, always amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've always tried to keep that attitude. And I've caught myself cheating. Like I've caught myself just repeating myself. And then it becomes a chore to go to the studio. And so I'd much rather have the butterflies than feel like you're going to a job. Yeah. As we're talking, there's some interesting themes I'm seeing. It seems in, in recent years you're doing this kind of almost a reassessment. Like I'm going to go back to these places I've been with a different eye and reapproach them. And uh, and I'm sure, or tell me, is the work completely different than it would have been on the first go around? And Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. just a better painter than I was 20 years ago and I thought I was a really good painter 20 years ago when I look back at some of my work some of it stands up but some of it is not very good yeah. <laughs> and I just think oh good idea but badly executed yeah. and that those are two things and it's it's kind of a traditional attitude but the idea of developing your craft um, so you can paint a good painting on a bad day you might not feel like painting but your craft is to the point where you can pull it off and Jack Darkus out at UBC and Gordon Smith always we're big proponents of developing your craft. A lot of art schools nowadays, um, they're more, cons you know, they're more conceptual and uh, they're more interested in ideas and statements. And but whereas I had a much more traditional art training than that because I was doing art education and we were supposed to go out into the schools and teach kids how to draw. So we had to have a, a more traditional foundation. Yeah, disciplined um, and yeah. So, but that has served me and I still believe in it. I still believe in the craft, the technique of painting. And most of the artists who I like are very good craftspeople as well as creative people. Yeah, I love it when there is a true balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's when it sings for me. Yeah. 
And looking at your recent history, the last several shows, well, maybe all of your history, um, it seems that you are out absorbing, interacting, doing all of the thinking and let it, letting it incubate. And then to have painted 50 pieces in this short period of time, like you can't be a paint when I feel like it kind of guy. No. Uh, you punch the clock. I, I, you try to go in, you know, eight hours a day and do that five six days a week or more. Yeah. Uh, if I'm on a roll, I'll keep going. I'll work 12 hours. Some days it's just not happening and you know you're not uh, going to do anything good that day. Well, do something else. Uh, make some frames or stretch some canvases or but just put in the hours. and yeah. uh, stay productive. And stay productive. And I think the artists that I respect as well, they're not, they're not lying around thinking deep thoughts all the time. They're, they're in their studios working. And I think to gain the respect of people, you have to approach it like that. You can't just, I mean, there is there is the odd exception mm -hmm. who can do very little work and then suddenly pull off something amazing. Hate those guys. Yeah, no. I hate those, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but they're few and far between. The rest of us have to get up in the morning. Oh, was it uh, Chuck Close? You know, Chuck Close, the painter, American painter. He said, um, you know, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us get up and go to work every day. Yeah. And... Uh, I have that attitude for sure. Yeah, a real workman-like attitude. Yeah, right on. And it's working. Yeah. Yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. You made some musical references um, and you have done... I'm always fascinated by people who are creative in more than one area. And you've done some writing as yeah. well. Tell me about that. Well, there was a time, um, probably shortly after my son was born, um, there was a period where I was creatively a little bit uh, constipated or stifled and I looked for another medium and that was writing and also I didn't have a I didn't have a nickel so I, I couldn't afford a studio I couldn't afford paint uh, I was just trying to make ends meet and struggling like all young couples and families do uh, my wife and I were struggling we decided that she would be a stay-at-home mom and so I had a very limited income and limited resources so I thought well I can't just sit here at night, you know, after all the work's done and just watch TV, so what am I going to do? So I started writing, and uh, I'd always liked writing, but never really took it, took, I never took myself seriously, but uh, just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and then I thought, well, I may as well write something, so I wrote a novel, and then I, I started writing articles and submitting them, and eventually a few of them got published, and, and eventually uh, in 2001 or 2000, I submitted an article to the Canadian Literary Awards. It was a, they had poetry, um, fiction, and creative nonfiction or something like that. There were three categories. So I submitted an article that I wrote and uh, it won. Wow. <laughs> so then I thought, oh, I guess I'm not a painter. I guess I'm a writer. And, uh, but actually, so I continued to write and I've written a number of screenplays and a number of articles and but my heart is in painting. And it's good for the brain, too. Like it, for, Absolutely. For me in my studio, I've got my easel and my printing press set up there. But I also, you know, dabble with, uh, like, I'll go strap on the guitar and stomp around and sing. And, and just switching it up kind of, it, it changes your brain and uh, lets you see things differently, lets you. So, yeah, I could see how writing would be a good partner. Yeah, and I also stomp around with my guitar, oh, too. Oh, right on. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah it, it's a really good change of gears. It's a different part of the brain. Yeah. and uh, But I think it, it just 
it's all part of one big whole. Mm-hmm. And uh, perhaps the visual, I think the reason, one of the reasons that my writing was considered by some people to be pretty good was that I, I'm just very visually oriented. So I see things and I'm trying to convey what I see and uh, what I smell and what I hear. So I just tried to make it so the reader would be able to see mm-hmm. uh, what I was seeing. And don't say it's a, you know, it was a beautiful mountain. Say it was a 3,000 meter mountain covered with snow, like, like so they can actually see right. what you saw. Yeah. And don't use those adjectives like beautiful or amazing and yeah. and uh, all these little tricks that, that help you write better. And I took some writing courses out at UBC and uh, took a travel writing course and the teacher was very good i can't remember her name but she was a professional travel writer and she taught us some some skills i won't say tricks Mm because but skills and uh, that really improved my writing and i still continue to write i write about art Um, i write about my travels Uh, but i'm not concerned about getting things published anymore as much would you say there is a um, you know as visual artists to a degree, maybe not to a degree, maybe entirely, we are storytellers. And there is, I think about this because when I paint, I am always talking to myself. And sometimes I'm doing it out loud and I don't realize it. And it'll be like, you know, blue, blue, green, blue, warm, blue. That You know, you've got this dialogue going. Yeah. And uh, they're kind of all tangled up in each other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I scold myself when I'm painting. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you can do better than that. <laughs> Seriously, right. you're gonna. Oh, oh yeah, right. You're you're gonna settle for that, you know? I re- come on, scrape it off, start over. Don't cheat. Don't. Yeah, I'm really hard on myself, and uh, but yeah, the, certainly the words come come into play. And I, when I was doing my station to station series, uh, I mean, I stole that title from David Bowie. That was an album of his, a, right. a real, a really innovative breakthrough album for him after he had done his Ziggy Stardust, and then he was kind of into R&B and Young Americans and that. And then he went into this Station to Station album. And there's one song called Station to Station. And while I was doing my Station to Station series, I, I could not get that song out of my head. Yeah. And I was singing it. I was humming it. I was using my my canvases as as drums, basically, and beating them oh, with wow. with the sticks and mm-hmm. and palette knives and trowels and brushes and yeah. and just getting this rhythm. And uh, so, yeah, so the words and the music and the art all seem to come together. Yeah, gets integrated. Yeah. I find that if I do a piece and uh, I'm listening something while I'm doing it, I can look at that piece years later and I know exactly what I was listening to. Like it oh, really yeah, does yeah. become integrated into the... Yeah. So your paintings are also uh, the soundtrack of your life yeah. or the the photo album of your life, I guess. Yeah. You can almost smell the smells. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know what you mean. Every now and then I'll pull all my old work out, and there'll be one that I just don't remember doing, but it's so few and far between. Most of them I remember the studio. I remember where it came in. You know, at what stage I was in that series. Uh, you know, the beginning of a series can be very tentative, and as you get as you find your direction, they become stronger and stronger. So I can kind of fit it into the, the chronological um, aspect of the series. And uh, yeah, so they are very, there's a certain nostalgia almost yeah. attached to many of them, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I feel the same thing. Yeah. And looking at your work cycle, it kind of seems to me like it is a, it's a large cycle binge work situation where you 
you you take that time to count, to um, have a new idea. Yeah. And you really think about it, and then you do this big work cycle, like you've just done. You've just finished that show is up. Yeah. Um, do you take a little pocket of time now to kind of recover? What's your? I stay at home and I tell my wife how to do housework. <laughs> she must love that. <laughs> Actually, she called and asked me to get you out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I hang around like a bad smell, and, yeah. and eventually she gets sick of me, so I'll I'll take off and do something. So I'm. The problem is my next series doesn't require travel, so I'm going to be around, but I have to go out and do a little bit of photographic research. I tend to just go out with my camera and, and just go for long walks through different parts of the city, and I'm thinking of moving. I haven't done this in probably 30 years, uh, doing some figurative work, mm -hmm. and I may even include some collage and some maybe assemblage and things that I haven't done very much of. And... I can kind of vaguely see how they're going to look, but uh, I think I'm going to go have to uh, hang around in bars, and <laughs> I want to do I, I, all the cool kids. Are doing I want to do exactly, <laughs> and uh, I want to do people again. Oh um, wow! I want to include figures. I haven't put a figure in a painting for, as I say, it must be close to thirty years. But that's where I really started. Uh, all my first paintings were figurative or figural. There's always a confusion between figurative and figural, but... Uh, you can explain it to me when we're off the mic. Yeah, exactly. Well, figurative <laughs> can just mean representational. Like, it, you can see there is... You can see it's a tree or a car, and figural means literally a human figure. So some people make that distinction. Yeah. But so this series will be both figurative and, and figural. figural. Yeah, Okay. combined with abstract elements. I've been looking at um, two guys that really intrigue me um, are Jasper Johns and Robert Rosenberg. And the way they collage, they, they took their abstract expressionist licks and combined it with um, assemblage. And, and some of their works intrigue me. And I'd like to maybe explore a little bit of that. Uh, probably be fairly urban, maybe interiors. But anyway, I got to head out and take a bunch of photos and do a little research, get out of my wife's hair. Mm -hmm. And probably in a month or two, I'll go back in my studio yeah. and really go at it. Yeah, and then a good almost a year of painting yeah. probably and then yeah. re-emerge. I tend to go in like about three month um, bursts. I'll work really hard for three months and that'll be the first third of the series. And then I'll take a break, go on a holiday, um, go to the Okanagan, yeah. uh, sip some wine, enjoy the sun. And then I'll go back for a second burst. And uh, that's when I really start to think I know what I'm doing. And then I'll go back, then I'll take another break and then go back for a third burst. So it tends to be in three stages. Yeah. I don't want to be tied to that or locked into that. Who knows, you know, I might just be able to keep going. But I find after three months, I'm starting to repeat myself. And I need to step back, um, take a break, and then come back refreshed. Yeah. So you talked about your um, professors, your teachers in school, and uh, the impact they have had on you. Mm-hmm. Have they been familiar with your work since then? What kind of feedback have you gotten from them? Uh, Gordon Smith used to go to my shows, but Gordon Smith is now 99 years old. And uh, so he's not, he's in a wheelchair. He still paints and he still shows. So he's just not out the way he was when he was younger. Um, Jack Darkus, I've completely lost touch with. But uh, I know Jack still shows in Vancouver. And, of course, Gordon does, and Gordon has become a legend, in, certainly in Western Canada. So the answer to your question is I don't have any contact with either of them now. 
Yeah. But I did with Gordon once in a while until about 10 years ago. Yeah. I just saw an awesome picture of him on Instagram and it was on uh, Bobby Berger's feed. And it's a picture of him in his wheelchair in front of a big piece of hers. And he's quoted as saying, she is bloody good. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice yeah. seal of approval. He was always very, um, very complimentary without being, you know, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always very encouraging. Yeah. Just a real champion of, of young artists. He's set up uh, the Gordon Smith Art Gallery in North Vancouver mm-hmm. that focuses on children's art and and uh, there are all kinds of programs for kids. He really believes in art education as being a really integral part of a, a good general education. And he's been a, a great proponent of that for 50 years at least. Yeah. Well, I would heartily agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned your son. My son is very creative. Yeah. Uh, he's, he did study visual arts at Langara. And he did some really interesting work, actually, a more conceptual, more installation-type work, as well as some traditional painting and drawing. And uh, eventually, he's moved more into music. And he's very good, a very good songwriter, very good producer of his own work. He does everything himself, as, as people can do these days. He records it. He's learned to play guitar, piano, drums, and um, he engineers and produces his own work and he's a little reluctant to let people listen to it but uh what i've heard is i think is absolutely amazing and he certainly has talent in that area i'm not sure if he wants to do it professionally but um i i do believe i that he has the talent to do it yeah and just nice to see creativity yeah flowing through it's such an important part of life even in the in the business world they say they like people who have studied creative disciplines because it really helps them think outside the box and it helps them in other areas i mean you could study visual arts it may you may not become a visual artist but it will help you uh, in other areas and i firmly believe in that yeah and you've been building a great career i loved your show totally looking forward to your next show so am i i don't know what it's going to look like (laughs) but i i hope it's not boring we're going to show up and find (laughs) out Yay. So thank you for coming and meeting me, sitting on this deck here as, this uh, is as beautiful. cars and trucks yeah. roll by. It is. It's, We're sitting um, on the deck of Milano Cafe, Milano Cafe. Roasters. Yeah. And we have a view of the North Shore Mountains and downtown. And yeah. it's a beautiful sunny day and it couldn't be better. It you know, could it's been be my better. pleasure to be here. Yay. So the show is called Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'll ask you to deliver a punchline for me on the spot. That's not an easy thing. Or give me a joke or some funny tale from your artistic life. One of the best stories that I've got about my artistic life, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I had a show at a gallery on Granville Street, and uh, there was a woman in there, and she was walking around and looking at the works. They were very abstract expressionist works, and drippy paint and all that kind of stuff and she was looking around she looked a little perplexed she looked a little almost annoyed and I was in the gallery she didn't realize that I was the artist and as she was walking out she looked at me and she said he must have been abused as a child <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and I yeah. and she was dead serious with a deadpan face she felt truly sorry for me <laughs> and uh, th- did th- not end up being a collector I'm guessing <laughs> no no <laughs> I think she was barred from the gallery. (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Two Artists Walk Into a Bar. I'm your host artist, Carol McQuaid. 
For full show notes and all the links, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe, sign up for updates, and leave us a review. And if you loved the episode, head to twoartistswalkintoabar.com and buy us our next round. Cheers. Cheers.